what we need to hear next Sunday and the Sunday after that and try to at least do my little part in this part of our life to move us step by step through this process. So we have been grappling with the issue of public confessions and how public uh, people need to be about their remorse or the discipline that they have. And so what I want to do is develop a biblical rationale for the kinds of things that are going to be happening tonight, and I'm sure they aren't the only ones. And the text I'm going to start with is Galatians chapter 2. If you want to look at it with me, you can, although I'll leave it behind and jump to a bunch of other texts. But we can start together there if you'd like. The situation here is that Paul is in Antioch and Peter is there and Peter, the other name Cephas, is eating as a Jew with Gentiles. In other words, he was experiencing his new freedom in Christ, that the old dietary laws that kept the Gentiles and the Jews separate were overcome now, fulfilled in Jesus, laid aside, and and he was eating with them. And then a conservative, super conservative party from James, or they said they were from James anyway, down in Jerusalem came up, And Peter saw them coming, and he shrunk back and began to be hypocritical and not eat with them anymore. So let me just read that now. You'll hear all this. But when Cephas came, this is 2.11, chapter 2, verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him. Paul opposes Peter now. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came... He began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. So fear was the motive of this hypocrisy. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy. So people generally get pulled into something like that. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas, the grand old encourager Barnabas, was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, and here are the key words, in the presence of all. If you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like these Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So he was saying, if you pull back from eating with the Gentiles, what you're really saying to them is they've got a new law they have to keep. Namely, they have to avoid eating ham. They can't eat with Jews. They have to either become Jews or you can't eat with them anymore. And that was something Paul was loath to say. Now, my point is simply this. Paul could have taken Peter into a private corner and said, look, Peter, you're, you're a jerk. You're, what are you doing pulling out and making those Gentiles think they've got to live like Jews when we've already taught them that these dietary laws are neither here nor there? Christ is all. He could have done that, and he didn't do it. He says, to his face, I rebuked him, and I said to Cephas, verse 14, in the presence of all. Now, who is this all? It's the Gentiles of verse 12. It's the party of the circumcision in verse 12. It's the rest of the Jews in verse 13. It's Barnabas. Peter was a very public figure in Antioch, very public figure. He was an apostle. 
his behavior carried more weight than the average run-of-the-mill Christian's behavior. He was a very public figure and his behavior had public ramifications. People were looking him to be taught by the way he lived as well as spoke. And it was hurting the community. And so Paul's decision was, I go public with my rebuke here on Peter in the presence of all. Now, here's the principle I draw out of that. The reproof and correction of a public minister extends as far as his influence may carry the harm of his sin. That's how far you extend his correction and his reproof. So that the more influence, the more reproof. The more potential harm for his sin, both in its kind and its duration and his status, the more extensive the censure, the more public the figure, the more public the reproof. That's the principle I draw out of that text. Now, let's apply it to Bethlehem here and to our situation in general, not specifically. We have elders, we have deacons, and we have other kinds of spiritual leaders who I think would fall into the category of public figures to whom people look for uh, example and teaching. And those of us who are sitting down here in the front row, and I, the elders especially, are charged to lead by example. I'll read that for you in 1 Peter 5, starting at verse 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you. Here we are, 12 men being addressed directly by the Apostle Peter. He addresses us as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as looking, as lording it over the ones allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. In other words, we are to lead by our lives. It was Samuel Rutherford who said, the most important thing I can give to my people as a pastor is likeness to Christ. This is not easy to come by, and nobody gets very close. But that's true. Now, if that's true, that our duty down here, all the spiritual leaders of this church, is to lead by example, it won't work to say that that's limited to our righteous behavior and not to our sin. It would be entirely hypocritical, wouldn't it be, if a public minister, one of these elders or I, said, I lead by my example. All my good deeds I show, and all my bad deeds I hide. I call that counterfeit leadership. Hypocritical leadership. It won't work to stand up and say, biblically, I am appointed to lead by example. So I will show all my good deeds and hide all my bad deeds. If there are bad deeds, they are to be known. Now, somebody asked after the end of the first service, 
Did he mean, they asked one of the elders, did, did he mean every single ill-chosen word to his wife at home? And I don't. Uh, there is an appropriate uh, way to settle those kinds of things. We're talking significant, extended, repeated, against counsel kinds of shortfall when we're talking public confession here. Okay, is that clear? And it's a pastoral judgment as to when that happens. And it's your judgment ultimately when it comes to discipline as to whether it's happened or not. If we're going to say that our successes and our rewards are needful for people to see for the sake of example, then we must also say that our failures and their consequences are needful for people to see. I even believe that if we're faithful, we come forth with some of our failures. I don't need every Sunday to give you a record of the week at home. But from time to time, I ought to say something like, Noel and I have problems, or I lose my temper, or we didn't talk yesterday, or that I shouldn't have to be called on the carpet. Just let you know that that's where I am, and you ought to be watching closely, especially these guys down here, to know whether that's out of hand or not, whether there's some trajectory there that's going to blow this marriage up or whether we are so dysfunctional at home that I'm not suitable to be a father in Israel. So there's a broad range of fitness here. Some of it goes public necessarily, some of it goes public voluntarily, and some of it doesn't need to go go public. And it's a sensitive thing with pastors as to how much you... You say, John Calvin was a reformer and he was battling in those days to break free from some amazing things in the Catholic Church of that day. For example, I read last night that uh, under one pope, you had to have 72 witnesses to bring a charge against a priest, which meant the priest was inviolable, basically. That's what Calvin said. So there was so much corruption because they were untouchable. You couldn't bring them to account. Whereas in our Constitution, any two of you, this is frightening, any two of you may call the elders to meet to hear your grievance against any one of us down here. And we must then do constitutionally a significant and thorough investigation of your charges so that the elder is brought to account. We are very accessible constitutionally. That doesn't mean you might see us as accessible personalities, but you don't need to deal with us if you don't like to. You pick out an elder down here that looks friendly and bring your friend and say, so-and-so did this or is doing this. You guys have got to come to terms with this. And you have acted biblically and you have acted uh, constitutionally. Calvin's day was very different, and therefore he was wrestling with these things, and therefore reading the Reformers is a good place to study these things because they were doing it all so fresh. And here's what he said, talking about 1 Timothy um, 5.20. Just as elders show the way to others by the example of an honorable life, so if they go wrong, it is right that severe discipline should be exercised against them as an example to all. 
For why should greater forbearance be shown to men whose faults do more serious harm than those of other men? And I think that's right. We leaders cannot have our cake and eat it too. If we embrace the burden of public influence by example, as the Bible says we're supposed to, we must accept the burden of influence when our example goes wrong. It needs to be reproved. We are not honorable elders. If we say, I will accept the privilege, I will accept the privilege of leading people by example as long as I'm praised, but I will not accept the burden of leading people by example when I'm reproved. I will let my successes teach publicly, but I will not let my failures teach publicly. I call that hypocrisy and counterfeit leadership. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. I don't know if you hear how that lands on us. Because that says, watch John Piper real carefully. Watch his conduct. Watch his faith. Watch its consequences in his family and his church and his friends. Watch and imitate. can't believe that if you read that, you would say, oh, what it really means is watch him while he's doing well and be sure you turn your head while he's doing bad. Watch him when he does right, turn your head when he does wrong. Watch him when he does right, turn your head when he does wrong. That's not what that text means. If, it, if, if I have it laid on me that your job is to watch me, I have it laid on me that you watch me in the dark and you watch me in the light. You watch me at home and you watch me at church. You watch me in the bad days and you watch me in the good days. You watch me with no rest and you watch me with good rest. You watch me in leisure when the mouth is not guarded and you watch me in sermons when the mouth is well prepared. You, you watch me. And I do not have the luxury of saying I'm accountable to you in my good times because I'm a public person. I'm not accountable to you in my bad times because I'm a fallible person can't have it both ways and be a real person, be an authentic leader. The price of public leadership is public reproof for sins that call our fitness for public office into question. That's a key phrase, lest you think it's every sin that needs to go public. The price of public leadership is public reproof for sins that call our fitness into question. Here's another text pointing this way. First Thessalonians 5:12, but we request of you brethren that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. And I'm telling you to appreciate us. Appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, I think we leaders cannot accept this public esteem 
while we walk in the light and reject public reproof when we walk in the dark. You can't read that text and say, oh, of course, we're to get your esteem. But don't you dare say one negative word or reprove us when we walk in the dark. It's not the case. Public leadership makes us liable and vulnerable both to esteem when we live well and to reproof when we do not live well. Ephesians 5.11 says, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. Now that exposure is in proportion to the seriousness of the sin and the extent of the public influence of the sinner. Those two factors. The seriousness of the sin and the extent and permeation of influence by that sinning person in the community of faith. We know this because of the qualifications listed in uh, 1 Timothy 3. You as the church, in our church polity, and I believe it's biblical, assess finally and affirm finally who becomes an elder. And therefore, you are the buck stopper in our qualification. Now, the elders, I think, have a tremendous responsibility to do serious sifting and interviewing and care before you get it. But we advance notice for several weeks, testimonies here, phone numbers given, call them if you don't know them. A lot of opportunity is given for you to assess who we are and where we've come from and get the trajectory of our lives and talk about those who know us because when we act, you do the final affirming. I think that's biblical. And if it's biblical that the fitness of an elder for public office be exposed, that you publicly expose our fitness by your public affirmation, then it is also biblical for you publicly to expose our unfitness should that arise. You don't publicly get affirmed and slither away unpublicly when you fail on that affirmation. Here's an example. 1 Timothy 3.2 An overseer then must be above reproach. Now that's a public feature. An overseer must be above reproach. That is, there mustn't be any ongoing glaring sin that brings reproach upon the name of the Lord and the church. You decide if that's the case. No elder with integrity can say, well, I accept the approval of this church for my qualities of being above reproach. And thank you very much. But I do not accept your reproof when I bring reproach as an elder upon the church. Nobody with integrity can say that. If it's public on the way in, it's public on the way out. If it's public for esteem, it's public for reproof. I can't with any integrity say I am an influential public figure as long as I do things that get me praise. But I will not endure public scrutiny when I do things that get me criticism. No integrity in that at all. So I'm going to close now by repeating my principle. 
that I believe to be thoroughly biblical and informing the processes of what we've done in the past with church discipline and what we are doing, and no doubt, if God tarries, will painfully have to be done again someday. The principle goes like this. The reproof and correction of a public minister extends as far as his influence may carry the harm of his sin. The reproof and the correction need to be as extensive as his influence can carry the harm of the thing he's being reproved for. The more public the figure, the more public the reproof. The more widespread the influence, the more widespread the correction. The more potential harm, the more extensive and severe the censure. I uh, perhaps take for granted too often this truth from 1 John 5, I think it's verse 4, where it says, By this we know that we love the brethren when we keep God's commandments. We have been prone to turn that around because it is biblical to turn it around and say, By this we know that we obey God when we love the brethren. That's not what 1 John says. 1 John says, by this we know that we love the brethren when we keep God's commandments. Which means, if I'm right, that this is biblical, it's loving, no matter what anybody feels. God decides what's loving. I have very lousy standards, I'm sure. My, my main framework in life is to believe that statement and try to be biblical. And I believe if I have little measures of success in my life, that when I get to heaven, the Lord will say, you love this person on Sunday night, February 6th. There is a lot more in here than that. But if there isn't out there, because you don't even know who we're talking about right now, um, to be biblical is to love. The reason we're not telling you any name is for two, two reasons. One, because we wanted parents to have a chance to prepare their children by hearing the facts tonight and then talking to them later. And two, we didn't think it would be all that healthy for the visitors to carry it away. And, and three, it would be much better for you to get the whole package tonight. And so I really hope that you'll be able to come back. I know it's going to be cold and have to park farther away because we'll have a good number of people. But please cancel what you need to cancel and get the first scoop. All the subsequent meetings, I'm sure, will be less satisfactory than this one tonight. Though we'll do our best to, to come your way to make, if, if your schedule cancels you out tonight, we're just working. These elders, we're going to have all their phone numbers tonight in the letter so that uh, if you can't come to any of the meetings, you can call any of us. One more word, and I'll let you go. Um, we are fallible, and uh, we want very much to be open. Uh, given what I have seen developing 
in the last seven and a half weeks, my trust level of people is low these days, as yours will be when you hear tonight what's going on. You will wonder how you can trust me. And we're real aware of that, that one of the most painful things in a church is that when a respected and loved uh, leader is brought into question, and if you believe the charges, you're prone to say, if that person could not be trusted, how could John be trusted? And that's just what we're going to have to deal with. But I want you to know we're aware of that, and we want our lives to be as open as they can be. And I mentioned to you the constitutional process of bringing any kind of concern to the elder council regarding any one of us. And in this kind of process, there are a lot of feelings that really rise and fall about processes and so on. And uh, Just feel free tonight to ask any question you need to ask. And if you don't feel like you can ask it publicly, then at the end of this service, though this isn't the best time to do that, all the elders are going to fan out here. And I'll tell you, it blessed the socks off of me in the first service to see these men stand here and people come forward to just pray and talk. Don't, don't press us for details this morning, but if you need to pray, these guys uh, were up most of the night and are, uh, they cry easy right now. So it's a good time to, to come if you need tenderness. Let's pray. Lord, prepare us, I pray, for the shaking that is happening and will happen even deeper. Oh, God, give this church discernment. Give this church wisdom. Give this church courage. And above all, give this church love that walks in the truth. Father, I pray for tonight's meeting that the Holy Spirit would come upon it with great power. I pray for those most keenly implicated here struggling this afternoon with all kinds of feelings. And I pray that you would arrive tonight and reveal yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.